Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Welcome to the Bud Zone. Please give a listen as we talk with our buds in the faith about the present rule and reign of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his church and over his world. The Life of Robert Murray McChain by Andrew Bonar. I remember on one occasion when we met, McChain asked what my last Sabbath subject had been. It had been, the wicked shall be turned into hell. On hearing this awful test, he asked, were you able to preach it with tenderness? Certain it is, that the tone of reproach and upbraiding is widely different from the voice of solemn warning. It is not saying hard things that pierces the consciences of our people. It is a voice of divine love heard amid the thunders. Greetings and welcome to this week's episode of The Bud Zone. Thank you for taking time to listen. I want to remind people of the goal here. The goal is to profile the ongoing work of the Lord in saving his elect, sanctifying his saints, building his church, and expanding his kingdom. And we do that by talking to some of our buds in the faith who are the means he's using to accomplish all those things. So in that vein, and maybe particularly with regards to expanding his kingdom, I am very excited to have joining me today the man who directed the wonderful documentary entitled On Earth As It Is In Heaven, Nathan Anderson. Thank you, brother, for taking time to talk with me. Hey, bud. Thank you for having me. This is great. Well, I am really excited. Uh, It was a shot in the dark when I sent you a message because we we crossed paths a little bit, but we've not had a lot of dialogue together. So you came back and said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I'm like, wow, that's great. (laughs) So thank you. Um, I guess to get started, uh, for folks that may be listening that don't know you and maybe you're not familiar with your documentary, which we'll talk about, give us an introduction. Who are you? What are you about? Sure. Yeah. My name is Nathan Anderson. I live in Chile in South America. Um, I'm a filmmaker. Um, I made a film a few years ago back in 2020. Um, Ironically, in 2020, a film about post-millennialism called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And uh, then last year, I made a a docuseries. uh, Well, actually, we released it this year through Lure TV called Teach All Nations, which is kind of a follow-up to my first project. So yeah, that's what I've been doing um, the last few years, working on films and um, getting to interview a bunch of amazing, uh, very smart people uh, along the way. So it's been a blessing. Well, that's what I consider myself doing here. So I'm on the 
side of interviewing a really smart guy. So thank you. Um, I do have a question. What is this? I'm looking at your uh, Facebook little bio thing. Your past work was with Christian surfers. What is what is that? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, well, my my family, we are all surfers. So we live in a small coastal um, town here in Chile, which is actually pretty called Pichilemu, which is pretty well known for for surfing, basically. Okay. So actually just um, a few days ago or no, like a week ago, we had a big wave international surf contest here in our town. So, um, uh, so a lot, a bunch of surfers from different parts of the world came and, and were part of that, but I've been a part of a group called Christian surfers for, for many years. And, um, you know, we, 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 uh, uh, get together, you know, surf, go on some surf trips and, uh, get to share our passion for surfing as well as, you know, our passion for the Lord. So, uh, yeah, it's been a great, great time well, cool. over the years. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I'm in, uh, in Florida, we don't have quite the kind of surfing that you've got. Although I see guys out at the beach doing it. It's not something I've ever done. I don't think we really get waves unless it's like hurricane season and something's blowing through. So, yeah. Well, ironically, you guys, I mean, like Kelly Slater, who's like 11 time world champion and an amazing search surfer is from Florida originally. So that's oh. kind of an interesting fact, you know, one of the best, pretty much the best surfers in the world is from Florida. So, well, that's an orbit of sports that I'm just, I mean, I've been a man of bulk all my life, so it's not something that I've traveled <laughs> in those, in those circles, but that's really cool. I, but I saw it on there. I'm like, Christian surfers is actually an organization of guys. Uh -huh. surf. That's great. Oh, and, and I was going to point out that you are, you get congratulations. I've never had anybody outside the Northern hemisphere on the bud zone. So you're the first you released, you said, uh, the documentary on earth as it is in heaven, uh, in 2020. And that's really kind of the story of the progression of your faith, particularly your eschatology to a post-millennial, uh, position. And I, and I definitely want to talk to you about that, but I want to ask you this question first. It's kind of a standard that I ask with guys when, when I talk to them and it's this, why, are you a Christian anyway? I mean, how did this come about? What What's the story? Well, um, I think one of the, the main reasons I'm probably a Christian is because of my parents, because the Lord used, you know, my parents to teach me the gospel and to raise me, you know, in the faith and to know Christ. Obviously, you know, um, as someone who's born into a Christian family, that's the the beginning point for my, um, you know, journey in, in knowing God. And I'm very thankful to my parents for that. And, you know, secondly, I'm a Christian just because of the will of God, you know, the sovereignty of God, his choice to save me before the foundation of the world. And um, that is ultimately the reason why, you know, I've, I've put my faith and trust in him is because Christ you know, it, it, God, the Father and Christ, Holy Spirit decided that before the world began. And so that's, I mean, that might be a, a bit of a, you know, may, maybe a little more profound. Maybe you just wanted a, a, a simple no, answer, but no. that's, that's, um, that's kind of, yeah, that, that's what I believe in terms of how God has sovereignly saves his elect Amen. in, in, in Amen. history. So you're a Calvinist? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of knew that from your, from your documentary, but, uh, yeah. And the means that the Lord used were 
your parents. That's that's tremendous. Now, are you in a in a in a reformed confessional environment for for church, or what is that like? Yeah. So, well, my I you know grew up in kind of a Pentecostal, charismatic kind of a um, you know orbit, I guess you could say. Um, our the church I'm a part of now it has gone through a process of of becoming reformed over the last um, you know maybe seven or eight years. Yeah, and so we're we're still in that process to a large extent, but um, but yeah, um, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from, and that's where you know we're at right now in terms of of a, a reform confessional Westminster Confession, um, you know Presbyterian model of okay church. Okay. Well, I'm in a in a, an independent reformed uh, confessional church in Westminster, so uh, and I've come out of largely, in my case, an SBC environment. So there was a lot of nonsense that I had to unlearn in order to learn uh, learn a confessional environment. So it's been wonderful. All right, so tell me uh, about this documentary. I mean, what? And you tell the story in the documentary, so I don't want to give away too much of it, but. I want people to go and watch this um, and, and then the subsequent work that you've done. But what really prompted this? Why, why eschatology? I mean, you hear guys that when they convert to uh, or not convert to, but when they suddenly come to an apprehension of Calvinism, you know, they go through a cage stage. You don't really hear about it so much with eschatology because people just sort of are comfortable with whatever they've been exposed to. And they don't really wrestle with it too much. But but what was this like for you? Why did this documentary come about? I started thinking about this documentary um, back in at the end of like 2017, basically. And I start I only started getting into like video and photography back in like 2015, 2016. So I hadn't been you know involved in all of that for a long time. But the main reason I wanted to make the film was was pretty simple. Um, because here in the Spanish speaking Latin American world, there, there just wasn't a lot of material on the subject of postmillennialism. There was, you know, somebody had translated David Chilton's book and, you know, there was maybe one or two uh, other books out there, but it just wasn't very well known. And so I had this idea of like, well, I know two or three pastors in South America who are postmillennial, so maybe I'll just interview them. And, you know, make this film in Spanish, this little film in Spanish to just help, you know, people um, in South America get acquainted with the postmillennial perspective. And so I started doing that, actually. Um, But since I, you know, was starting out, I made a lot of mistakes with the interviews. And so, you know, either the audio or the lighting. And so I was going to have to go back and reshoot um, these four or five interviews that I did originally. But then I had an opportunity to travel to the States uh, for a few months. And based on that, I was like, well, maybe I could, you know, I knew uh, Steve Greggs um, through my parents and and through some other people. And so I was like, well, maybe I, I know he's 45 minutes away from where we are going to be. And so maybe I can interview him. And then I was able to, you know, we, we visited my sister-in-law up in Washington State. And so I said, well, how far is Washington state from Idaho? And I started looking at the map and I'm like, well, that's not too bad. And so it was able to contact pastor Wilson and, and then later on Bruce Gore. And so I just kind of out of that trip, I was able to do the, these interviews. And uh, when I got back, 
we were going through a lot of uh, pro- political turmoil back in 2019 here in Chile. And so it was not really all that safe to travel or to move around. So uh, the people I interviewed didn't live in the town where I live. And so it was like, well, it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to, you know, meet up with these guys to reshoot the Spanish interviews anytime soon. And I just said, well, you know, I've already, I have all these interviews in English. I might as well just make it all in English now, you know? And so yeah. that's what I ended up doing. And, um, uh, and thankfully the Lord, you know, used that maybe to, to reach a, a, a broader audience than I really expected because, you know, there's, uh, at least from my perspective at that time, there's so, there was a lot of great ministries like Apologia and, you know, the folks out in Moscow and other people that have a, pretty wide audience and that are promoting post-millennialism in the English speaking world. So I didn't really feel like I need, had something to uh, contribute to that. That was all that necessary, you know? And so it was kind of interesting that I, you know, I didn't set out to make a film in English originally, uh, but that's just how it all, you know, worked out in the providence of God. And, um, and providentially, I, I released that on February 15th, 2020. So at least for us down here, that was right before all the craziness started happening yeah. with COVID. And then on, you know, it was like March 11th or March 12th, something like that. I remember is when everything went crazy here. And so I don't know, it's, uh, to me, it's just very interesting that uh, a film about optimism, about historical optimism and a a victorious view of the success of the church would, you know, people would want to watch that in the year when everybody thinks the world's going to hell in a handbasket, you know? Yeah. No kidding. So yeah, that's a little bit of the, the story of how it all, all came about. Well, you've got obviously heavy hitters from a post mill kind of platform in the film. And I was going to ask you, how did you connect? Cause you've got, yeah, you've got Doug Wilson, you've got Ken Gentry, you've got Steve Gregg, uh, Bruce Gore. And I'm like, this guy travels in some serious circles. And you've told a little bit about that. Were they all eager, I guess, when you extended the invitation? They wanted to be a part of this for the purpose of of educating the church in post-millennial theo- eschatology? Well, so, um, well, Steve Gregg was the one person I actually knew from that, all that, the, the group. And I knew him from before just through my parents. And, uh, you know, so he, you know, I had contact with him and he was, you know, willing to, to sit down for an interview. And as I said, he was really close to where we were staying, um, at the time, you know, with, um, uh, Doug Wilson, I, you know, we had a connection through, uh, his son, Nate Wilson's wife, Heather Wilson, yeah. uh, we, we knew Heather from many years ago. She is also a surfer, actually, and been down here to Chile a few times. And so through Heather, I, you know, I was able to uh, get get in contact with Pastor Wilson about that. That was, you know, about four or five months before I, I went out to Moscow. So that was, you know, we got in contact way ahead of a schedule, I guess, and we're able to set that up. And so that was, um, that was pretty amazing. And then at that point, after I got that, uh, you know, had that set up, I started going, well, who lives somewhat close to, you know, where I'm going to be that I could also interview, you know, cause that's, that's a, a lot of the, <laughs> the planning for these films is, has a lot more to do with, uh, you know, geography in a lot of ways, you know, but I had heard Bruce Gore a few times 
and a few of his lectures on on postmillennialism. And so I got in contact with him and he, you know, was in Spokane, Washington. So on the way as well. And so it just turned out to be a great group of of people to to have uh, in the film in that sense. Oh, it's, and um, it's uh, tremendous to hear those guys. And yeah, and it's amazing. It's kind of like this film is sort of like Levin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kingdom, you know, the Lord providentially brought all these pieces together that's yeah and then for with with ken gentry i wasn't able to travel to where where he lives but a a a friend of his and a brother he put me in contact with mark cotran who's a a filmmaker as well um he i sent him questions and he was able to interview ken for me so that was that was really really great and so that's how he got everybody you know all four guys in the film well, that is that. That's really exciting to hear. So, let me back up a little bit. Explain first of all. Answer this: You, you didn't start out post mill. Your parents weren't teaching you post mill eschatology. the The church environment that you were in was not. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say my parents were probably a bit, you know, eschatologically a bit agnostic in that sense. I mean, they, they'd read the late great planet earth and that kind of stuff. And obviously, uh, kind of in, especially in kind of Pentecostal circles, you know, dispensationalism is, is kind of, uh, pretty common. Um, so they, they weren't really, it's not that they were really pushing, you know, eschatology, um, on us in that sense. But I do do remember, you know, just in the church environments that we were in, hearing about the rapture and, you know, hearing about the future tribulation. I remember at one point, you know, reading, um, you know, the 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 novels, the left behind novels. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember what the I, I got through a number of them. I remember I got to the one that was about Revelation chapter nine and the locusts. Um, you know, I, I remember what they were in the book. Were they some kind of like, like Apache monster? helicopters? Or I don't know. Uh, they weren't. They weren't helicopters. I think they were like demons, basically, like okay. these demonic things that were attacking the, the the planet, basically. So I got to that book. I don't remember the name of that one. That's as far as I got on that um, left behind kind of uh, uh, saga, let's say. Yeah. Um, so I I was familiar with with and and you know just kind of assume that to a large extent i think the first kind of uh question of that was when i heard uh you know steve greg and his presentation of you know kind of the partial preterist view of of revelation and that was very eye opening for me and and i you know i braced a lot of that and then probably about 7 or 8 years later is when I, you know, I think it was through, I don't totally, I, 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 I don't remember if it was the lecture series or uh, the book, but, but Pastor Doug Wilson had uh, this series on, on eschatology, I think it was four or five parts, and he had a book which was heaven misplaced. And so mm-hmm. either I read the book and then listened to the series or vice versa, something like that there and, and that really introduced me to the questions you know related to postmillennialism which you know I, I you know the issue of partial preterism and, and all that is very interesting but it actually doesn't get to the issue of of postmillennial eschatology um in that sense yeah so so, so go for ahead me, that was a second step was discovering the the postmillennial side of things i guess okay well you uh th- that 
draws me into a couple of questions in the documentary. You mentioned Greg's book, which I'm going to ask you later if there were some books that you would recommend. That's certainly one of them I had read before I saw your documentary, the, what is it called? Four views of revelation. And he kind of walks through the dominant orthodox, what we would consider orthodox positions on eschatology with the interpretation of revelation. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, the partial preterist, um, explanation seems to be the better fit for all the things that you see, but there's so much before you get to that, that you kind of have to digest, you know, the Olivet discourse, obviously being a big chunk of that. Um, but give us a, give us your definition. What it, what is post-millennialism? What is it you, um, are adhering to when you say that you're post-millennial? Yeah, I think post-millennialism and, and this is where kind of the labels seem to get in the way a bit of the conversation. Yeah. And because all, all these labels seem to revolve around this issue of the millennium, you know, right. that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, right? And so it seems to imply that the most important aspect of your eschatology is deciding where or when this millennium in Revelation happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Basically, that kind of makes everything about, well, is Jesus coming before this millennium, quote unquote, or is Jesus coming after this millennium? And that becomes a debate. And and so there, and, you know, in that sense, you have, you know, uh, this pre or post millennial views, right? Mm-hmm. Pre is Christ coming before the millennium or is post or Christ coming after the millennium. And so in that sense, even all millennialists are post-millennialists in, in that sense of the word. But I yeah. think those words um, are a little bit, um, mis- it's a little misfortunate that we frame the debate in that way because it really ignores a lot of more important questions in, in my view, because uh, beyond interpreting this obscure idea of a millennium that's found in a few verses in one chapter of one of the most symbolic books in the whole Bible, beyond deciding what all those figure symbols mean, uh, there's a greater question of what is the nature and what is the purpose of God for the church in this present age, basically? And Mm -hmm. what is the um, nature of the mission of the church in this world? Uh, Did Christ leave his church with a specific task or a specific goal in mind? Or are we just kind of here in a sort of uh, waiting room until he returns, you know, doing what we can while we're waiting. But are we, uh, is that all this is basically, you know, or is there a mission that actually needs to be accomplished or that God expects the church to accomplish in history? And I think that would relate more in that sense. I think our eschatology from a post-millennial perspective has more to do with our understanding of Matthew 28 than it does our understanding of Revelation 20. Because even among post-millennialists, I mean, you you listen to, you know, or you read Warfield, or you read Ken Gentry, or you read all these different guys, like you'll have differences of opinion or, or, or in terms of like, okay, how does every symbol of Revelation 20 line up and what yeah. does it mean? Yeah. And so to me, that is, is, is 
you know, secondary or even tertiary in terms of what a post-millennial perspective is. And so for me, uh, post-millennialism has to do with the belief that the church will be successful in discipling the nations in history before Christ returns, that the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit is sufficient to fulfill that task, right? And so we're not waiting for the second coming of Christ to fulfill that task because w- the weapons we have currently are are powerful enough, right? Yeah. We amen. believe the power of the Holy Spirit and we believe the power of the gospel is enough for the nations to be discipled because that's what Jesus asked of his church. That is the great commission, disciple the nations, right? So the you know the real issue I think I, I love what you're saying here because I've heard guys and I've read guys that don't really like the label post millennial because they don't want to attach it to to that one chapter out of all of scripture it, it really the implications are greater and I like what you're doing from the standpoint of the great commission but I think it's like the church has almost collapsed the entire narrative of scripture down to individual soteriology. That's all that God in Christ is doing. And we fail to apprehend. We're not really looking. I mean, I'm not, I think, you know, pre-mill rapture guys are, they're looking for this cataclysmic event for the power of Christ to overcome, you know, the issues that we're dealing with in the world. And I think that cataclysmic event happened in his death, burial and resurrection. And now, because he said in, uh, in Matthew 28, all power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The church has largely misidentified what our mission is. It's it's not just about getting individuals saved. He said, go make disciples of the nations. Am I looking at this wrong? Yeah, that, that's correct. And But I would also say that that is not just a problem for our, you know, dispensational premillennial brothers. I think that is an issue in in premillennialism in general, you know, okay. and it's also an issue in amillennialism. Yes. And I, I think that I actually, I think one of the reasons why the, the debate centers on this issue of the millennium is because on these other things, there's not a huge disagreement between premillennialism and amillennialism. And so what seemed to have happened, you know, kind of in the, especially in the middle of you know the the 20th century was postmillennialism was just kind of pushed out of the conversation and and so you know there was even a a book written back then it was like you know uh, you know amillennialism versus premillennialism kind of a thing and so uh-huh. i think w- what what really happens is um that they're pretty much agreed that the you know we shouldn't expect you know the church to be overly successful in this world, the church is always going to be a minority. It's always going to, you know, uh, it, it's not going to in any way um, overcome on a large scale the the uh, you know the kingdom of darkness in this world. Basically, mm-hmm. so both both premillennialism and amillennialism are agreed on that, and they're both also agreed on the fact that this whole thing ends right before Christ comes back. There's this big cataclysmic event where you know if you thought the devil was in control of things now, just wait to the f- last few years before Christ comes back, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the uh, you know dispensational premillennialists that. 
event is the seven-year tribulation, you know, and for the amillennialists, that event is a great apostasy that's going to happen, you know, at the end. And so, so they're pretty much there, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they, they might argue about some of the details and obviously their issues with uh, dispensationalism also, um, um, have to do with the issue of covenant theology and there's you know problems with that in terms of their view um, in history but at least in terms of this idea that satan's ruling the world uh you know the church is called to be a minority in this world a, a small remnant until christ returns and the the, the victory is that the devil's not going to be able to totally wipe out the church before christ comes back so there there are going to be a few stragglers left at the end that's kind of the the the, the optimistic side in those in that framework basically mm -hmm. and so but what, what we're saying is is no we're saying that the victory of the church that christ will accomplish through uh the the gospel and through his holy spirit is much greater than that it's not going to be a few stragglers that make it to the end it's going to be victorious in history the church is going to overcome all obstacles by the power of the gospel and 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 that the nations will be discipled. The nations, you know, as Psalm uh, or as Isaiah two says, you know, they're going to flow into Zion. They're going to mm -hmm. be taught the word, the the law of God, and they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So we believe that's going to happen. That through the gospel, that there's going to it's going to bring about relative peace and prosperity on the earth in latter days. That's basically the, you know, that that's the, the main point um, in terms of the differences between the post-millennial view and premillennialism and amillennialism. Okay. Do you think that most people in the church, and now you're in South America, so maybe it is a different uh, environment there than it is, you know, in the American church and, and Northern hemisphere kind of thing, Western but do you think that most people in the church just fail to understand correctly what at least I would identify as the theme of the Bible? What is God telling us in Scripture? And I would say that it starts with creation, then fall, then redemption, but then recreation, which affects not merely my individual salvation, but, you know, behold, I'm making all things new. It encompasses all of creation. Do most people in the church not understand what is going on in Scripture in the big picture? They don't have a, a forest view. They've got some tree-level views. but Well, I think the issue is, it is not so much that. I think they, they have an understanding of that to a certain extent, but I think they compartmentalize it and that they don't apply it to eschatology, right? Oh, I, 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 I think that they have that idea, but they believe, you know, a lot of times they believe it's happening in this almost, you know, spiritual other realm is where this, you know, redemption is, is occurring in a certain way, but that on, in terms of on the ground victory, they're not expecting anything like that, uh, or transformation. They're not expecting anything like that until Christ returns. Okay. In, in a sense. And so I think there is a disconnect between their eschatology and their view, you know, of, of redemption and of history in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, is what, what's the culture like that the, the church culture in South America, is it largely dispensational, uh, you know, pre-mill kind of 
Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, I think it's, it's uh, definitely like that here in, in South America. Um, you know, mostly Pentecostal, uh, mostly charismatic, uh, mostly Armenian, uh, and mostly dispensational. Okay. Um, in terms of, of of eschatology, but again, it's it's actually very interesting because I think because of the internet and because of all this, uh, you know, communication and ability we have to to get the message out, um, there are a lot of people that are, um, you know, adopting different positions, whether it be um, coming to a re- more reformed view on soteriology and other issues, or on the other hand, people who uh, are changing their view of eschatology. And so it's all kind of, I feel like it's all kind of up for grabs right now in terms of the next generation. Okay. Um, a lot of people are questioning kind of the dispensational paradigm. And I think that's also true in, in, uh, in North America as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there seems to be a, a much greater openness, uh, you know, to consider other perspectives um, in terms of these issues at this time, I feel. Okay. Give a, give me a definition for folks listening. When you mentioned earlier, partial preterism, Ex- explain what that means so that folks can understand. Yeah. So, so partial preterism is basically the idea that many passages in the new Testament that, um, that speak of the coming of, of the Lord, are actually referring to his coming in judgment um, in the past. So, so preter in in Greek, you know, preteros means past, right? Mm-hmm. And so, basically, what what partial preterism is saying is that a lot of the prophecies were fulfilled in the past. And and in in one sense, all Christians are partial preterists, right? I mean, exactly. So we're 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 all partial preterists in terms of the prophecies. Uh, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, for example. Yep. No one is is looking for a, a a future fulfillment of that prophecy, as far as I know, these days. And so, so one would be a preterist in terms of, or a partial preterist in terms of that. But then, you know, typically when we're talking about passages like Matthew twenty four, the Olivet Discourse, or the Book of Revelation, partial preterists would see large portions or 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 most of those passages. Uh, as being references to uh, the destruction that came against, uh, you know, Jerusalem in 70 AD on the the Romans, right when they yeah. uh, quelled the the rebellion in uh, in Palestine, basically, and so that's basically the the perspective. And and so partial means also the the word partial is important because w- what we're not saying is that all prophecies have been fulfilled. We still, as all Christians do. Um, hope for the second coming of Christ, look for the final resurrection of the dead, the j- judgment and all that. We believe in in, in all of those, uh, you know, central doctrines of, of Christianity. But we also believe that certain passages that um, at times have been applied to the second coming, we're actually talking about, you know, the, um, uh, th- this destruction of, of Jerusalem. Yeah. And so... so that the way it connects with, uh, in some ways, with this issue of eschatology is that the great tribulation, as it's you know often called, we believe happened in seventy A.D. And so we're not looking for a future great tribulation to happen, basically. Yeah. 
Now, when you engage with, with friends or um, those that would come from a different eschatological perspective and they're attacking you, not attacking, but they're, they're pushing back on post-millennialism, wh- what is the most common issue that they're coming at you with? Is it the, the tribulation, the great tribulation? Is that a, a key issue for them? It's a mixture of things, I think. And it, it really depends on, on the person. But I think usually it's this idea that there is something wrong with hoping for, working for, believing in, seeing gospel success in this life, right? And yeah. seeing the gospel being successful. That if if you're... If if you're talking that way or you, you're thinking that way, that is somehow wrong, and you know that, or somehow worldly even, which is you know you're somehow putting your trust in man's ability and not in God's ability, um, you know, which is actually quite ironic because you know at least most of the the post millennialists I've read and come across we're all um, Calvinists. And so yeah, they right. very strongly believe in the depra- depravity of man, very strongly believe in the sovereignty of God in these things, but they just believe that, you know, God is powerful enough to save everyone he wants to save, despite the depravity of man in that sense. Exactly. And so, um, so I think that's probably one of the major confusions and, and just this general perspective of decline that, the his as history moves forward, we're going to go from bad to worse, and that's just the way it is. That's just the way it needs to be. That's what's been prophesied in scripture. And so, any hint that things might be getting better is just a false hope. It's just it's actually just preparing the way for the kingdom of Antichrist. You know, it's lulling people into a false sense of security. In a, in a certain way. And so I think that basic paradigm of history is probably one of the more difficult hurdles to overcome, right? And, you know, it, 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 and, and then just this general sense of like, oh, well, you know, things are so bad now, you know, things are getting, are, are, are going from bad to worse. You know, I remember when I didn't, we didn't need to lock our doors and now, Look, look at our town or something like that. You know, that, that kind of um, anecdotal um, evidence is, is powerful for a lot of people. Well, it is. And, and that's a good, uh, a good point because a lot of this is anecdotal. We're very, we always naturally tend to be very myopic. So we're looking at our circumstances and our little circle and, and even, you know, uh, well, our country is going crazy, but I get messages from friends around the world about the explosion of the gospel in in Africa, and not you know the the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, the genuine biblical gospel, confessional churches, reformed theology. You've got that going on in uh, <clears throat> in China. I mean, so the gospel is exploding all over the place. It may look really bleak here, you know, in the U.S. or in the West with regards to the evangelical church, but God is still at work, and it, the gospel still is the power of God for salvation. So your film, and I just think this is the Lord's providence, is just amazing. It comes out, you mentioned it, in 2020, COVID, and you are putting out a post-millennial documentary at the worst time in human history with all of the onerous governmental mandates and all the shutdown things and 
Uh, when that happened, did you, was there a moment where you're like, Oh Lord, I mean, <laughs> should I rethink this? Well, that's an interesting question because to be honest, I did not really have, um, you know, high expectations for, for the film. I kind of just finished it in February and I was like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> it's done. Oh. Um, and I get, I, so literally all I did was I just, you know, put some subtitles on it in Spanish and I posted it on Facebook and on YouTube. That's all I, all I really did. Really? And Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, uh, it, it got a little bit of traction at the beginning, but it, it did, it wasn't a massive thing either. It's not like mm -hmm. I woke up one day and I just had, you know, millions of views or something. Um, so, you know, I, I put it out there then at some point I was able to get it on, on Amazon. Um, then later on the, the Canon app, uh, with Canon press. And so, yeah, things kind of just went, went slowly progressing in that sense. And then something really interesting happened, you know, um, half, you know, kind of halfway through the, the 2020 is, um, you know, James White became a post-millennialist. Right. Yeah. And he he had a sermon, um, you know, just sharing about his journey to postmillennialism. And at the end of that sermon, he mentioned my movie and he mentioned how just a certain scene um, with Doug Wilson talking about, you know, his, you know, that we don't really, you know, pray for our great, great grandkids and, yeah. and all that, that really, you know, was something that that um, you know helped him to come to this understanding of postmillennialism, and so that was very interesting because the next day I started to get a lot more views on the <laughs> on the movie, and uh, at first I didn't know why, and then uh, somebody mentioned something about James, you know, James White because I, I do follow uh, his his ministry. I just hadn't listened to that that sermon yet, that one, you know, yeah. and so it was, it was that was uh, really interesting. Well, Nathan, you watch it after this episode drops, you'll get another dozen or so listens. I mean, you get the <laughs> views. Uh, yeah, this. Is... <laughs> but that, but that was amazing because literally that I was having maybe like fifty views a day on my my YouTube, uh, yeah. basically, and like literally that whole week I had like a thousand views a day. So it was. Oh, it was it was a big difference. <laughs> that is tremendous. Yeah. So. So it, it was, so as I said, it's been an interesting journey with the film, getting to know a lot of people. And the other thing too, was that in, um, so that this was in 2020, I released that, um, then in, I guess it'd be, what was it? 20. Yeah. I think it was 2020 as well. Yeah. It, at, in September of 2020, I said, well, I guess I got to go out and film another one. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I traveled to the States. I went to the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference and, um, and I was able to interview a bunch of people. And that's when I, I got most of the footage for Teach All Nations, which is the second project uh, that I released as well. So the first film, you know, kind of was able to open the door for me to, you know, reach out to people like Dr. George Grant. I interviewed Gary North. Um, interviewed, oh, wow. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, got to interview a bunch of, of great people for that second project and, and release that this year. And so, um, so yeah, the first movie was definitely probably a, a, a good launching place to, to make another one. And wonderful. So eschatology is important. Why? 
Be- well, I would say it is and it isn't important. I would say it isn't important if all we mean by eschatology is, well, what are the details of in the minutia of the events leading up to the second coming of Christ, right? Uh-huh. And do and so in that sense, I don't think it's that important. I don't think it's that important for us to know, you know, all every last detail about Christ's second coming, basically, you know. And I think there there's many obscure passages in scripture about that that people are going to be fighting about for a long time, basically. Yeah. What is the, you know, the the first resurrection in Revelation 20? You know, is it the saints, you know, coming to life in heaven in the intermediate state? Or is it is the first resurrection, you know, regeneration? Because, you know, Jesus in, in John chapter five speaks of it as a resurrection. What is, you know, so we could get into these specific details about things, you know, who are the two witnesses of, you know, Revelation 11 or um, I think those things are not super important, but what I do think is important is our view of of history. You know, is our view of the church in history and the success of the gospel in history. So, if if we're going to lump that into the study of eschatology, then I do think that is important because that will ultimately affect how we live our lives. I mean, if if I think that the rapture is coming at any moment. And, you know, and, and, and this has happened many times. We don't have to look too far back. I mean, you know, think of, 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 of all the, the people who believe that the rapture was going to happen in, in 1981, you know, and mm-hmm. how, and how that affected their lives. I mean, um, the decisions they were making were, were revolved around this idea that, well, it, we're out of here in a few years, either way. So what, why think about life after 1981? Why, why, you know, let's worry about the here and now. And, you know, the same thing has happened over and over again with people making predictions about, you know, the future. And, and again, I don't, um, I, I am obviously aware that not all dispensationalists or not all non-postmillennialists are just making predictions every day about, you know, this year or that year. I, I, I'm well aware of that, but they either way they do embrace a general framework even if they they are not willing to say well it, it's going to be march 12th you know uh 2000 uh, 2025 or something even if they're not willing to to put a date on it they do embrace this idea of like well you know we're we're living in the last days like there's no way this can go on much longer and that has an effect on how they live their lives into the future um, how they think about their kids and about their grandkids, you know, whether they even believe they are going to have grandkids, right? Yeah. Because in that framework, um, if we really are the terminal generation, if we really are living in the last days, then th- th- then there is not much reason to believe we're going to have future generations. And that will influence the way that we, um, you know, we work and the way we labor in the gospel in this world. Right. Yeah. We're not going to be building institutions and things that will outlast our lifetime, or at least we're not going to be working towards that consciously. Right. Um, because if, if we don't believe there's much after our lifetime, um, then then what's the point? Well, and, and, and I think that's how I view it. The implications for our obedience is really what the, your eschatological view um, affects. 
And yeah, like you said, if I'm just waiting to kind of get raptured at any moment, the sort of imminent return kind of thing with the issue of the rapture, uh, how motivated am I going to be to go out there and fight abortion or transgenderism or, um, you know, the decline of the, the schools and, and all the apostasy that we see in the culture? Well, uh, it's supposed to be that way. There's not really much I can do. So what I would say, in fact, Dr. Uh, Sandlin and I had talked about this a few weeks ago, there is a happy inconsistency because people that even hold that position, like you're saying, they are out there fighting against these things. They instinctively know that this is anti-Christian. It is anti-God. It is, it is contrary to truth. And so they're standing against, you know, LGBTQ. They're standing against uh, all the apostasy. And I think the, the COVID issue, I think the Lord facilitated that to push people um, to respond because the tyranny became so obvious and we know that that's wrong. And, and you mentioned history and you look back through the history of the church really in the last 500 years, even, and we see what's the sphere of the church supposed to do with regards to the sphere of, of the state of the civil government. Um, and, and so you see people that have come out of a dispensational standpoint, um, rightly defending the church, um, and pushing back against that sort of onerous, tyrannical oversight so your eschatology does have an have an impact yeah I, I think that's very true and in fact um you know i have a program i do in spanish where sometimes i i respond to to different things and there was a guy who wrote who had recently become you know very passionately dispensational um and he was writing he wrote an article kind of against post-millennialism and these things and the last thing he mentioned um well, he, he wrote it kind of against kind of post-millennialism and, uh, you know, kind of Christians who are politically engaged. And the last thing he mentioned in that article was like, there's so many, I'm disappointed that there's so many people who call themselves dispensationalists like me who are engaged in politics, who are acting as if they were post-millennialists, you know? And so he was, he was lifting that up as a, 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 a vice, ultimately oh, wow. that people would do that. And another interesting thing I heard a number of weeks ago, a brother sent me a, a, a lecture from a number of years ago by um, Kim Riddlebogger. I think is his name, a professor yeah. from yeah. Uh, pastor and, and professor, I think out in uh, uh, Westminster, California. And he, he was giving a talk on, on these issues. And he said very explicitly in that talk that, you know, our, political engagement needs to be defined by our eschatology. And he says, we're all millennialists. Post-millennialism is wrong. Um, actually, he even said post-millennialism isn't even confessional <laughs> in that talk. And he said, well, okay, maybe maybe Warfield and Hodge get a pass, but everybody else, they're, they're outside the gate, you know? Yeah, I was just thinking uh, Warfield when you said that, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's highly ironic, you know, that, you know, someone who teaches at institutions that were started by post-millennialists would say something like that. But, um, uh, but he said very clearly in that talk, you know, cards on the table, my view of politics flows out of my amillennialism, is what he said. And, and you know, and, and that is why I, I, you know, I know that uh, these ways of political engagement are wrong because post-millennialism is wrong. Yeah. 
So, so it's very interesting when you have people, you know, not from these different perspectives, you know, really saying, you know, the, the quiet part out loud in a lot of ways, because what a lot of people want to do in terms of these issues is say, look, let's not fight about eschatology, right? Let's, let's forget about all that. And let's just talk about, you know, Christians engaged in the civil sphere. And let's just keep, let's just um, narrow our conversation to that. Because if we start talking about eschatology, people are going to fight about it and it's going to, it's just going to not going to work. But what I've found is that if you do that, you just set yourself up for, for failure in a lot of ways. You know, I remember um, sitting um, here in Chile at a, a talk for, um, listening to a speaker who's actually written a lot of really good books on, you know, the issue of, um, of discipling nations and, and this whole thing. And, um, and it was, it was really good, the talk he gave, right. But at the end of it, a lady stood up and she said, you know, at, at the question and answer time, um, she said, okay, that, that sounds interesting. Okay. Let's disciple education and let's disciple, you know, business and, and the family and all these things that all sounds great, but what's the point? Because we all know that, you know, all the signs are lining up and the kingdom of antichrist, you know, is, is, is going to take over. So why would I spend all this time trying to, you know, infiltrate education, you know, if I know that it's a, it's futile because the end is not, you know, it, mm -hmm. and that's what she said. And so for me, it was a, 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 a an example of how, you know, a, a 30 second question just trumps this whole, you know, great talk someone gives about mm. engaging the culture and discipling nations. And, and, and unfortunately the speaker really didn't have an answer. You know, he had a minute and a half to try to respond and it was kind of like, well, you know, maybe that might be the case, but you know, we, you know, we just kind of have to, to, to do it anyways, you know? <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I think, you know, there is some, and, and I've had an, you know, a dialogue with a brother when he discovered that I'm post-millennial, that uh, I had sort of adopted this new apostolic reformation view of dominion. And I'm like, no, 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 we're talking about two completely different things. Uh, Christ prevails through the power of the gospel because he has all authority and he's given us examples in scripture, parabolic examples of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It is not, it is not born of a cataclysmic event. It is leaven. It is a, you know, like a mustard seed and, and it is precipitated by the power of God to save in the gospel. It's not that we're necessarily trying to take by conquest, uh, because the other part of all of this is the, is the theonomic side of it. You know, we, we don't want to take over government and institute mosaic law across the land. Uh, that's not what this post-millennial view posits. Uh, yeah. We believe Christ is going to prevail. We, we do believe that he says, uh, I have overcome the world. Uh, there are implications for us as a result of that. But it is interesting that that, that sort of view prevails that, you know, what's the point? Well, the point yeah. actually is you've, you've been commanded by your Lord to do these things. And, but the, the, and, and that's an interesting, that's an interesting issue right there. Cause we've been commanded. And then the, the second question we need to ask is why were we commanded to do these things? I mean, mm -hmm. did, did Christ just send us out 
on a suicide mission in some ways? Did he send us out on a mission he knew we weren't going to accomplish? That was impossible to accomplish, but, you know, just go give it the old college try kind of a thing. I mean, what was the point of him doing that? And not only that, because, okay, someone could say, okay, he sent us out on this mission, but we're, we're, we're just humans, you know, we're frail. We can't do that. Okay, fine. But then he gave us the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. Right. God is here with us. Yep. And and why would we need the second person of the Trinity to come back? Um, you know, if we have the third person of the Trinity to accomplish what Christ called us to accomplish. Why is the Holy Spirit insufficient? That's what I I, you know, and I think frankly, at times I'm, you know, I I don't, I I don't know this for sure, but I'm, I think a lot of times Christians, you know, their doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a little weak. They don't totally view the Holy Spirit as God, or they, you know, they, they think of him as something lesser than in a certain way. And so, so they're, they're, they're in their thinking they're, well, we're just here on earth. We have, yeah, we, we could, share people, share the gospel with people, but we're just people, you know, we don't have anything else. We need Christ to come back because he's God and he will usher in and, and accomplish what we couldn't accomplish. He will clean up our mess for us. Uh, but we forget that the Holy Spirit is now with us and the Holy Spirit. I mean, the whole point of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit is the one that is moving the church forward. The Holy Spirit is accomplishing, um, you know, the work that the church is doing. You know, it's not about glorifying man. It's about glorifying God. And God is with us. And God has called us to this commission of discipling nations. And so why would it be crazy for us to think that the nations will be discipled? I didn't want to, I I don't want that pause there. I was thinking, amen, but I thought you were going to keep it. So keep praying. So so to me, that's that's the central issue. No, I, I, that's a phenomenal point. Um, we are diminishing the power, even though all everybody would confess this. We profess the Holy Spirit as God and as the power of God, and it was good for Christ to leave so that he would send the Comforter, the Spirit, to us. Okay, then we can't accomplish what he's commanded us to accomplish with the third person of the Godhead? I mean, there, there's either two options, either— the gospel and the Holy Spirit are insufficient to accomplish those things, right? Like the nations, you know, the, just the power of the devil is too much. The gospel and the Holy Spirit cannot overcome the power of the devil. And therefore, you know, North Korea is always going to be North Korea. Uh, you know, China is always going to be China. And, you know, these these strongholds are just, you know, never going to be taken until Christ comes back. Yeah. Either, either, either the the weapons that we've been given are insufficient for the task, right? Or God just doesn't want the task accomplished. Yeah. But if He doesn't want the task accomplished, why did He tell us to accomplish it? And why did He give us the Holy Spirit? And why did He give us the power of the gospel? I mean, that's the that's the issue because we're not talking about you know bringing about these things by yeah, the 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 power of man. We're talking about the supernatural power of God. You know, through the gospel, through His Word being preached, is what bringing what is bringing about the obedience of the nations, and yeah. uh, and that's what that's the way. You know, Paul summarized his ministry in the book 
of of of, uh, of Romans at the beginning and at the end. He says we are you know what I, we are bringing about the, the bringing the nations to the obedience of faith, right? Absolutely. And, and so you know why would we expect something less than that to be the result, right? Why would we expect that result to be unattainable if it, if Christ has given us the the means? by which that will be accomplished. And, I, and I'm not saying that's going to happen tomorrow, right? We we believe the kingdom grows slowly. We believe the kingdom grows like leaven or like a small mustard seed. And so um, obviously we can have, you know, setbacks. There's, there can be persecutions and there can be moments when the kingdom of darkness looks very powerful and in, 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 in that sense. Yeah. But... Through all of that, Christ is conquering and the kingdom is growing. And he's not just conquering in this spiritual, otherworldly realm, right? This parallel universe. He's conquering in history. And we could see that very plainly just doing the numbers. I mean, you go back to the first century, how many Christians were there? How many pagans were there? You come, you come to today, there's more Christians today on this planet than any other time in history, Absolutely. not only not only numerically, not only in terms of because someone could say, yeah, sure, but that's just because there's more people on this planet. No, even in terms of percentages, there's what there's a much larger percentage of Christians in this world in 2022 than there ever has been in in the last 2000 years. And that's just a, a fact. That's, absolutely. I, I don't remember who it was, but I was listening to somebody the other day and uh, talking about, you know, first century church. Think about it. You had 12 guys. You had 120 people in an upper room. Uh, you can't even measure that as a percentage of whatever the world population was at that time. But look at where Christianity is now. Uh, and is it 20 percent, 30 percent, 40 percent of the population of the world? Yes, the the kingdom is growing now. In in our context, maybe it looks all dark, but we're very myopic, and we we can't be that way. We're uh, um, we need to look at the big picture and what the Lord is doing globally through the power of His gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, when you look at the church, then, and I kind of asked you this earlier before we kind of started. Do you see more people now really since the COVID nonsense hit? Do you see people moving towards a post-millennial? Is it, do you have a view that it's becoming more popular? You kind of alluded to that. Well, I, I guess in my case, I might be a little bit biased because since I made a film about post-millennialism, yeah. a lot of people who are interested in the subject are reaching out to me or I'm in contact with a lot of people um, related to that. And so I would, I wouldn't know, I guess, but okay. from my perspective, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I'm getting, you know, messages from people every day from different places in the world who said, Hey, I, you know, I saw your movie and I mean, that just totally, you know, led me down this path to change my view on, on eschatology. And I, and that change led me to, you know, a di have, view my work differently, to view my calling and life differently. And so I'm getting messages from people, you know, with that kind of feedback all the time, which is, you know, just truly a blessing That's in that good. sense. And so it seems to me like things are growing. And another indicator is, you know, there's a lot of pushback towards post-millennialism and the issue of theonomy, which, you know, for a lot of people, that's just one in the same. 
and these days, which is um, which is very interesting because you know, I mean, the, if, if theonomy died out in the eighties or nineties. Um, why are people responding to this dead movement? You know, yeah. <laughs> why yeah. are people responding to these things? So um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of, seems to me to be a lot of conversation about these issues at this time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think something's happening Wonderful, uh, for sure. And I hope that the Lord uses, you know, this film and the work of, of the folks at Apologia and the folks in Moscow and just, you know, different and other brothers that are, you know, starting, starting ministries and, and involved with all of this. I, I hope he uses this for his glory. And even if people don't want to wear the label post-millennial for whatever reason, that it would at least, you know, plant the seed in people's minds of, well, you know, yeah, maybe the rapture is going to happen or maybe, we have a long way to go and and just that that possibility because for i think for a lot of people um a lot of people don't even know that there are other views on eschatology like i mean i i i know for, in my case i don't really have much of an understanding of that at at one point and i think a lot of people think well oh yeah there are other views there's the pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, you know, like that's mm -hmm. as far as the diversity goes. And so even just to know like, wow, okay. So a lot of Christians and, and it, it, to, to me, what's very interesting is so many Christians that people or, or so many people that, um, you know, Christians might recognize their name, you know, someone like a William Carey, you know, yeah. or, or someone like, I don't know, like a Jonathan Edwards or a uh, George Whitfield, you know, uh, to, to come to know that these guys actually held to a post-millennial perspective is is a is a big deal, you know, yeah. because because that's something that's just totally ignored by most uh, people that write about these guys um, in the present day, basically. So yeah. just to even communicate, you know, those kinds of things is is um, uh, is I mean, John Wesley, like who know who knew that John Wesley was a post-millennialist? Yeah. Right. Um, in, in that sense, yeah, just that's that's just not common knowledge. And so I, I think it's helpful to at least, uh, you know, at the bare minimum, be like, wow, OK, so these post-millennial guys, they're kind of weird. But, you know, there's a lot of other Christians that I, that seem to be solid down through history that were also post-millennialism. So maybe they aren't, you know, as weird as I thought they were. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I keep a cheat sheet in my uh, my little journal here when I engage with somebody, which is normally online or somebody sends me a Facebook message or something like that. Um, here are some names that you know, but you didn't know were post-mill. And I've got like Matthew Henry, John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Hodge, uh, Albert Barnes, WGT Shed, R.L. Dabney, Warfield, Machen. I mean, all these guys. It's like you, you didn't know that, did you? Now, I'm not telling you you need to pick a celebrity and adopt their position, but it, it is an orthodox position that uh, if you haven't looked at, you need to consider it because it does have implications for how your faith will grow and your obedience will be exhibited in the place wherever the Lord has put you. So I think that's tremendous. Um, when you look at the church at large today, let me ask you just two quick questions, and I want to respect your time, but uh, what do you see that most concerns you, and, and what do you see that most encourages you? And you're a post mail guy, so there's all kind of stuff for you to be encouraged about, I'm sure. But I don't, I don't see anything all that different in terms of 
of concerns in some ways because I mean it seems like just the general division, denominational differences and fights that have been going on for a very long time. Um, I guess one thing that is concerning has been, you know, as especially in this area of the engagement of the church with the culture, um, as we've seen a lot of um, um, freedom seeming to be disappearing in large parts of the world. Um, as we see, you know, governments starting to to grow more tyrannical, you know, in this present time. I mean, I'm in communication with brothers in Australia and, mm-hmm. you know, even here in Chile and other places, it's in, in, and in the States, obviously, but um, the church, or at least a lot of the big figures in, in the evangelical movement, a lot of them don't seem willing to, to, to take a stand and seem like, you know, seem to be just quoting the party line and seem to be um, just going along with uh, with that agenda. And so that's obviously very discouraging. But the flip side to that is that a lot of people are, uh, you know, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors from different denominations and different backgrounds are pushing back and are saying, you know, no, this is wrong. You know, we are called to to worship. You know, that's the, the, the government does not have a right to come in and tell us to shut down our worship services, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and so, but it, it's coming from different directions. And so you'll have a very orthodox, you know, Presbyterian, uh, you know, church just going along with all this stuff. And then you'll have, you know, a, another, you know, charismatic church resisting, yeah, right? right. Or, or, or a Calvary chapel or all these different movements. And so it, it's really interesting how that there are those, those elements present. And what I think post-millennialism does is it gives all of that a backbone, basically, you know, yeah. it gives all of that a framework um, as, as to why we should resist on those things. Because we know that this is just temporary. We know that these little tyrants are, you know, they're, they're not going to win. They're going to lose in the long run, right? Exactly. And and so, so, so the world is not just going to spin out of control. This is this is temporary, and we are able to be faithful in the midst of that, in whatever way God is calling us to to do that ultimately. And we're able to lock arms with our brothers and sisters, even from different denominations and have maybe different views. And and yeah, even that have different views on eschatology and all that, but we can, you know, I I think that post-millennialism really gives people a framework in this whole conversation that without it is, is quite lacking ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to work. Yeah. I'm in my normal Bible reading right now. I am in Ezra and it just amazes me how Here's this pagan king that the Lord sovereignly orchestrates to rebuild his own temple. Uh, You know, can that happen today? Of course, I've got faith. The same God that orchestrated those things in that time is the same God who has sent his spirit now to accomplish, you know, his alpha to omega purpose in the world. So, yeah, that's wonderful. Now, here's, um, here's kind of a concluding question I ask folks. Is there a question you wish I'd asked that I hadn't asked? And what is it? And what would your answer to it be? <laughs> that's that's a good question. Um, I guess maybe um, it, it would be interesting. It would have been interesting to talk a little more about, you know, 
um, kind of post-millennialism and um, and the whole um, like new apostolic reformation, you know, theonomy, all those kinds of issues a little more or something like that, because uh, to me, it's always very interesting when people, because you you mentioned briefly that that a friend of yours, uh, you know, was saying, "Oh, well, that's the, that's dominionism or something like that." Yeah, yeah. Um, to me, it's very interesting how people make those associations, right? Because number one, as someone who's grown up kind of in in Pentecostalism and in in that kind of whole arena that people call the NAR or whatever, yeah. Um, most of the 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 Pentecostal world is actually dispensational, right? And so nobody's attacking dispensationalists going, oh well, you know, you're you're wrong because Pentecostals are dispensational, right? Uh, but for some reason, people think it's a great argument to say, well, just well, postmillennialism's wrong because of dominionism or because, you know, this prosperity teacher or that guy said something that sounded kind of post-millennial yeah. <laughs> at some point, yeah. you know, and what's, what's important to know about that whole arena is that most of those people, it's not like they have this detailed eschatology either, you know, they've just heard, you know, things here and there sometimes from post-millennialists granted, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of the, those people read some Gary North or read some uh, folks like that, but obviously uh, they apply it in a fr- in a theological framework that's completely different yes. in a lot of ways. And so that's where I think it's, you know, it, it, to me, it's important to point out to people, oh, j- you know, just because someone happens to be, um, you know, a, a Pentecostal and also happens to be post-millennial doesn't mean post-millennialism is wrong any more than the fact that someone's Pentecostal and is a dispensationalist makes dispensationalism wrong. You know, ironically, though, you know, Darby, who who founded dispensationalism, he was very anti-charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that which is a very to me, it's very ironic that I remember somebody was responded to one of my videos in, in Spanish at one point. He was like, you know, you're you're leading people away from our our, you know, our heritage, which is dispensationalism, like our Pentecostal heritage. I'm like, well, did you know what? Darby thought of Pentecostals, you know, he, I mean, the, 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 the Irvingites of that time were, you know, he was not a fan of all that. So, yeah. um, uh, so really you can, I mean, you could make all like, there's been people from all millennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial and all these different perspectives. Basically. That's true. That's true. And so to try to demonize a view just because, you know, some wacky group. I mean, you, you could do the same thing with premillennialism. I mean, think of the uh, the Munster Rebellion people, or think uh-huh. of like, I mean, you know, the the JWs and and all this. I mean, there's there's all these different groups that are wacky and strange that have held to premillennialism, and so, but that obviously that we we don't say that is an argument against premillennialism. And the same thing goes for 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 postmillennialism or amillennialism. You know that 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 whole guilt by association thing is um uh, is unfortunate, but it's common in, in these days. Do you then see a connection between Genesis one twenty six, the cultural mandate, the the dominion mandate, and that was given before man actually is created? Let us make man, let him have dominion. Genesis one twenty six and the Great Commission. Do you see a connection between those two things? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think there is a a a you know there there we we take part in the you know the work of redemption, but also and in in the work of of of, of dominion and of of uh, of the cultural mandate, right? And and I mean that's that's a big part of this as well because if we do have a long way to go, right? If there is a lot of time, then you know we we do have this calling to to take dominion over the earth to um uh to to really glorify God through the work of our hands in all these different areas that he has called us to basically and so i do think it's an there's an important connection there for sure okay in in, in that sense and and actually that's something that we explore um, you know, George Grant and Gary North, these different guys and, and teach all nations, you know, that's, okay. that's, that's kind of a big part of the, the, the focus of that, the focus of that series is, okay, so we've talked about eschatology a bit, but how does that, how, what practical implications uh, flow out of that? And so that's where, what we look at in my, in my next series, basically. Well, maybe you should come back and we can, we can delve a little bit further into the whole, um, theonomy that that's a huge issue and and you know in a very superficial way when somebody asked me about that i'm like well what do you prefer do you prefer god's law or man's law i mean take you only, those are your only options it's either theonomy or autonomy and autonomy yeah. obviously isn't working but maybe you come back sometime we can that'd be great would, i'd love to hear you teach on that that'd be uh that'd be wonderful you can send me messages beforehand so i can ask the the smart questions and then you can respond to them what do you have and and i I didn't prompt you on this before and if you want to you can send me links or anything but if somebody were genuinely and sincerely looking to investigate post-millennialism obviously we're going to point them to this documentary that you've made we'll point them to the next one that follows it um teach all nations and then you mentioned in the documentary a couple of books but do you have any resources that you would point people to books or well you know uh what one great place to to start and get everything in one place is the the canon app um you know has you know that's with canon press they you can watch my you could watch my movie on youtube but you could also watch it on the the canon app and there's a bunch of audio lectures and there's um Doug Wilson's book, Heaven Misplaced, mm-hmm. um, on audio there, I believe. Uh, there's also um, this a few, um, se- there's a series by Ken Gentry on there, uh, like multiple, you know, le- I don't know how many parts, it's like 10 parts or something like that on post-millennialism. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a number of resources like that. That would be one good place to kind of get um, all everything in one place. And I mean, obviously read Ken Gentry. Um, he shall have dominions, a great book by Ken Gentry on mm-hmm. that subject. Um, another great, actually a really good book is by Keith Matheson called post-millennialism and eschatology of hope. Yep. That's a very, sh- it's a somewhat shorter book, but it's very condensed with a lot and it covers a lot of ground. Like, I don't think I've I've read a book on postmillennialism that covers that much, that many topics in such a condensed uh, format. So, like, if 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 you're someone like me who you know it's hard to get through long chapters and all that, that would be a great place to just get you know a, you know a good good resource for the issue of of postmillennialism. 
And if you want to just really be encouraged, uh, you know, Ian Murray's um, um, Puritan the Hope, Puritan, the Puritan Hope. Yeah, that's just a, just a great book. And so, yeah, there's a lot of of resources available. Uh, even yeah, there, there's even if you you know there if you go to Gary North's website, there's a whole section of free PDF books. Uh, a good number of those are on postmillennialism. So if you you know if you just want to if you you're like I don't even want to invest in a book right now. I just want to read a little bit, and you're not you're okay with reading on a computer. Um, there's resources there. So so there's you know there's a lot of different um, options today. Um, in terms of you know for for free or or, or not very expensive to to get more information yeah. on, on all these. Topics. I'm glad you mentioned that Gary North because you had mentioned earlier uh, Chilton and um, I have been emailing with uh, Gary Demar about republishing, which apparently is in the works. Uh, Days of Vengeance. Well, uh, it's on Gary. You can download the PDF of David Chilton's. Um, book days of vengeance which is his commentary on revelation so i did that and i printed it out it's like 800 pages and i've got it in a notebook and i spent about uh, probably six weeks you know working through it and it's like you, you know lights just sort of go off but it's very um different than the context that i grew up in uh in the church it's you know it's it, it's completely different, but very provocative. And that is on, on Gary North's site. You can download a PDF, although DeMar American vision, I think is, uh, has got it for republication. Yeah. Sometime soon. The other book, and I can't remember the name of it, uh, that Chilton wrote was, uh, paradise restored. Paradise restored is available. You can get that. Yeah, that's a good book. So, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of good resources. Um, a lot of good books and, um, you know, um, teachings, you know, check out Jeff Durbin's left lectures or, you know, Doug Wilson or Bruce Gore actually is a great resource. If you guys haven't uh, checked out Bruce Gore's channel on, um, on YouTube, uh, he has some great lectures on, I mean, he goes through just uh, even the whole history of, of eschatology in the church. And it, there are some really good resources from Bruce Gore. Oh, it was uh, so to, interesting hearing him give some of that historical background uh, in your documentary. That was mm -hmm. really helpful. Yeah. And, and he, on his YouTube channel, he has just all for free, you know, I'm probably hundreds of lectures um, just um, available there. So definitely check that out as well. Okay. Well, what, any, any, uh, projects underway right now? You just finished this last one. Uh, what's yeah. next? Well, um, I'm, I'm going to be traveling, um, in October to, to go film some stuff for my next project. Um, still haven't, you know, there's, I'm still ironing out a few things, uh, with, you know, what it, it's exactly going to look like, but probably going to, dive a bit deeper into the issue of, of theonomy into the issue of, of, you know, God's law and, um, and it's relation to post-millennialism basically. And so oh, that's, good. that's kind of what I'm, I'm working on right now. I've already done uh, a, a few interviews for that, but still, still very much in the works. So that's going to be either it's going to be teach all nations season two, or it's going to be, I don't know, maybe have its own name. I'm, I'm it's still, still very much in the works right now, but I'm filming in October. So 
have to have something ready by then. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, Nathan, brother, thank you again. I I really appreciate your time. And I hope maybe we can uh, hook up again and have another conversation about whatever you'd like to talk about. I'd love to hear uh, more about, you know, theonomy. And if that's your next project, uh, I'll look forward to that. But I appreciate yeah. uh, I appreciate you taking time today. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been a great conversation. Love to to come back sometime for sure. You are now leaving the bud zone. Thank you so much for listening. I would also encourage you to listen to a podcast that I happen to co-host with my pastor, Dr. Andrew Smith, called Truth for You. You can find Truth for You on the Christian Podcast Community. Thanks again for listening. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this episode. God bless you.